When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and it's official. Honda will power Aston Martin from 2026 onwards in a deal that keeps one of the world's biggest automotive companies in F1 and could be key to Team Silverstone achieving its ambitions of world championship glory. But how has this deal come together, and why did it take so long? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to discuss F1's newest works team are Josh Sutil and Scott Mitchell-Malm. Well, Scott, back on Honda, your favourite territory. You must be delighted they're still in F1 longer term. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember uh, doing podcasts in um, in late 2020 and then again in late 2021, first when the uh, announcement was made that they would quit and then when they did technically, officially, quote-unquote, quit at the end of 2021. And both occasions we're joking about what the hell am I going to do as Captain Honda, as I've been dubbed for, for many years, even dating back since before the existence of the race. Um, and it was it was a genuine po- point of concern for me. I, I wasn't really sure what the medium to long term future held. Fortunately, in the interim, it didn't really feel like Honda had actually uh, left. And there's been various Honda activities to keep me occupied. And then... Just joy of joy, the first glimmers of actually Honda not not really walking away at all and the 2026 project being on the cards, looking a bit shaky, then being back on again, breaking the Aston Martin story recently and obviously now it's fully announced. I am delighted that I will retain my captain Honda status or have the opportunity to retain that status for years to come. I guess if there's one thing you can guarantee when it comes to Honda and Formula One, there's always something happening in one direction or the other. So it doesn't lack for storylines, let's put it that way. And and Josh, not quite so many Honda links for you, but never a bad thing to have an extra manufacturer in Formula One, although you can't really call them an extra manufacturer. But let's say one more than might have been the case for 26. Exactly. And fantastic for the website and filling this gap um, left by Imola's cancellation as well. So uh, yeah, a lovely bit of news this week and something good to get stuck into before before Monaco. Ever pragmatic view of the news. It's always very useful when stuff happens. That's certainly true. And obviously, going into what's now a double header rather than a triple header, that certainly kept F1 very much in the headlines. So Josh, we talked about the imminent Aston Martin Honda deal on the podcast a few weeks ago. So this will come as no surprise to listeners. But now there's been the official announcements. Can you just outline the key points of how it's all going to work? Yeah, so this is kind of Honda's full-fat return to being uh, an engine partner in Formula One. It's a proper kind of engine works deal. So, you know, the Honda engine is going to be properly kind of uh, adapted to the Aston Martin's concept of car as well. So it's going to be, you know, very much uh, the full-on return that many of us were were hoping for from Honda. Of course, not quite full hog in terms of the, you know, they're not building the the chassis. Obviously, that's going to be fully still down to to Aston Martin. But yeah, Honda are going to fully provide the engine. Um, it's you know there aren't going to be any customer teams at least that's not the the, the plan for now so it, it's very much all about 
Honda helping Aston Martin, you know, achieve their goals of uh, of winning Formula One races and championships. And clearly, you know, the engine manufacturer is a, is a key part of that. So it, it's made sense for, for Aston Martin and it's obviously made sense for Honda being the, the ideal partner for them as well to be able to build all of the engine components, no kind of half measures. It's very much they can just fully focus on this 2026 engine project and uh, hope that Aston Martin will will make good use of it. And it's worth clarifying because there's a little bit of misunderstanding sometimes about this, that obviously the Red Bull Powertrains project, the current one, they're running Honda engines at the moment, which Honda are still involved with preparing, etc. That's not really anything to do with this insofar as the Red Bull independent powertrains projects ongoing that was nothing to do with honda it wasn't using honda ip or anything whereas this is a distinct honda project so although it's picking up on the engine tech that red bull are currently using it doesn't really affect the the red bull powertrains thing they're very very separate projects it's just that the current honda engine is referred to as a red bull powertrains but scott as you said you wrote about this quite some time ago and you've been talking about it for a bit. So has anything surprised you about the details that have been announced or is it pretty much as expected? Yeah, it's um, pretty much as expected in that it's, you know, it's just Aston Martin. It's not going to be Honda looking to supply a second or certainly not a third team. Um, so it's full work status. Um, don't really think anything jumped out as a as a, an enormous surprise. Obviously, they're both talking each other up in... Um, in the way that you would expect, uh, Martin Whitmarsh called it the last piece of the jigsaw puzzle, which means I think Martin Whitmarsh was spying on our Slack conversations because I'm sure when you pitched an idea about this a few days ago, Ed, you described it as the last piece of the jigsaw. Well, you say that, but I'm pretty sure he or one of his colleagues at the top of McLaren said something very similar when they announced the Honda deal last time around. I remember covering that press conference in the early hours back in the Autosport days. So I guess he's been through this one before. It's far from his first rodeo in terms of announcing a link up with Honda. Yeah, the um, the, the messaging around it was exactly what you'd expected it, expect it to be. I mean, uh the 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 honda rationale for quote unquote coming back um having only decided to quit two or three years ago was exactly what you'd expect a justification of it from a point of view of f1's engine direction fitting their carbon neutrality plans even though that f1 direction was fully set out (laughs) back in 2020 i mean the specific details of the rules weren't fully established but the idea was very much there so it's it's a bit of a cop-out for for honda to do that they've they've changed their minds because of the cost and the reward basically which was too bad in one direction back in 2020 and is suddenly much better now because they've been winning everything and winning championships and suddenly they want they want to stay in f1 i think the only thing i would say that was a minor surprise surprising that it was addressed in such an emphatic way was that uh, Koji Watanabe, who is the Honda Racing Corporation president, and HRC, which has traditionally been responsible for the two-wheeled Honda activities, will be the lead on the the Honda F1 project from here on out because uh, that's the result of a reshuffle from last year where four-wheeled motorsport came under the HRC umbrella. Um, Watanabe said, he was asked about uh, the possibility of Fernando Alonso driving for the the team in, in, in 2026 and said that they would have no objection to that. And that surprised me in a sense because we know that uh, Alonso really upset people at Honda he was blocked from doing Indy with Honda engines I think in 2020 it was um, as a direct result of that so that grudge could have continued but Watanabe was pretty flat out that if Aston decides that Alonso is the driver for it they have no objection to it. 
Yeah, well, it's very much been made clear that Aston Martin has the control over drivers. We'll probably get into drivers in a bit more detail later on. But yeah, that was uh, a good thing that they emphasised that 100%. I guess they probably saw that question coming. But certainly, I get the impression, Scott, that you see a bit of a disconnect between the real reasons and the official reasons for why they're coming back, though. And that does perhaps not speak so well for the overall Honda decision-making process over the past few years which again is i think something you've questioned it's clear there's been a bit of a battle within the company yeah exactly i I, i've been skeptical of um honda's messaging and strategy or or lack thereof um for for a long time going right back to when they announced their decision to quit in october of 2020 um it never quite married up and i i think the, the reason they quit quite simply was they were spending hundreds of millions of dollars on an F1 engine project that was yielding a couple of wins a year in 19 and 20, and, and that was it. And I just felt that in the context, I think in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic at the time, the fact that Honda had genuinely fallen behind a lot of its rivals in carbon neutral projects and different technologies on on the automotive side, uh, I think they did need. Um, I think they did need a bit of a, a restructure of priorities. But I think in that situation. F1's just a luxury project um, and it's an easy thing to cut to save a load of money and also to redirect personnel and facilities towards the, the area that you're lagging behind on the automotive side. So they, I, I felt that they weren't completely honest at the time when they walked away. They, they never really walked away. They've been flirting with a 2026 project for a very, very long time. And now that they're back, you, it's obvious that they have to rationalise it. They have to justify why they're suddenly interested in a formula that they said three years ago didn't fit with their strategy, even though there, there, isn't, there, there isn't really anything fundamentally about the 2026 engine rules that wasn't already known when Honda made this decision back in 2020. Like, the, the, like I say, the, the exact nature of the, the electrical output from the MG UK, for example, the, the, the full full speed approach towards sustainable fuels um the the exact details may not have been completely known or completely set in stone but it was clear f1 was going in that direction so to to say that that's now suddenly made it viable again for 26 i just think it's a little bit of a nonsense it's purely because honda's started winning massively started winning championships realized that it made a mistake there was a different ceo at the time to what there is now so it's just unpicking a decision that I think a lot of people didn't feel was the right decision for Honda to make. And it just smacks of that lack of long-term strategy and knee-jerk reaction that I think has underpinned Honda as almost the archetypal F1 manufacturer. It's someone that's vulnerable to shifts outside of the motorsport world and react really, really quickly in a way that perhaps doesn't necessarily give F1 the kind of long-term planning and commitment that it needs. All of those things are, are definitely true, but I think it's done a good kind of salvage job in, in the long term. You know, all those mistakes it made were already kind of set in stone. But I think for them to come out of this with a partnership with Aston Martin was perhaps one of the kind of best possibilities of a bad situation, considering all the mistakes they made, considering how that affected them in the medium and, and in short term. I think they've actually... And partly, this is down to Aston Martin's you know, fantastic start in 2023, them already reaching the front. It would look very different if Aston Martin had come out of the blocks this year 
in a similar position to last year and been firmly in the midfield and Honda have announced their return with a team which is obviously clearly on the up and has lots of investment but isn't kind of proven to be taking a major steps forward like Aston has proved this year so there's definitely some sort of little bit of kind of um salvation job kind of thing or salvage job rather for for Aston uh, that Honda has performed um you know due to Aston's help I'd agree with that, but the the thing is they've thrown away a partnership with the best team on the grid. They are dominating Formula 1 at the moment. They've won three of the last four titles. They'll win two more this year. I suspect they'll win two more again next year. and, And Honda only has itself to blame for not being able to continue this in the long term. And I just think that is, I think that's astonishing. How many examples are there from history where one of one of the partners has actively just gone, we're just going to shoot ourselves in the foot here and abandon this, and then let another manufacturer in Ford sweep in and partner with Red Bull for 2026 onwards. Now, it may be that by setting Red Bull off on their own direction, Red Bull powertrains won't get it right. It'll be their first in-house engine. Yes, they've got some amazing people that they've been recruiting, and I'm sure Ford's putting in a lot of money or technical know-how, whatever it is they claim they're actually contributing to that project. They could trip up, but it would have been a very, very different 2026 engine if Honda had never walked away and it'd been a re- and it'd been a proper Honda engine for 2026 with Red Bull input because powertrains would never have existed. Blah 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 blah. So, I I just find it such a shame and so baffling that Honda found themselves in a position self-inflicted where as you put it Josh they had to have a salvage job in the first place like to me that's the thing that I I am all in favour of extolling the virtues of the Aston Martin Honda combination I think in the current situation both entities find themselves it's a really good solution for each of them and it is a really really interesting project to see it play out could be it, it could have an immense immense peak but I really don't want to let Honda get off the hook for a ridiculous, ridiculous lack of strategy. There is an element of good fortune there in that a team in Aston Martin's position doesn't come along that often. Okay, their performance this year has played a part in getting this deal over the line. Obviously, it was known that Aston Martin was an upwardly mobile team investing. We were expecting Aston Martin to get to the point where it's racing at the front a few years down the line, but at least this has proved that they're performing well. But I suspect the Honda decision might be a little bit different if they were looking at maybe a partnership with a Williams, say, which with the greatest will in the world it's on a much, much longer timeline with a much steeper hill to climb to get to the point where they're able to win races than Aston Martin is, which is currently second in the championship, doing very, very well. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. Do, do we know anything, Scott, about the, the the funding side of it? Because obviously Honda had its full works operation. Initially, it was with McLaren that they were also putting money into, then the Red Bull partnership, then Red Bull basically paying for the continuation Honda services. So where does Aston Martin fall in that spectrum? It's absolutely not a revival of that ridiculous McLaren deal. I... I, I wasn't around in F1 at the time when this deal was done, Ed. You, you, were, you were much more closely involved. Maybe you can explain to me and the listeners that don't really know how it happened. But how on earth did McLaren ever pull that deal off? Yeah, it was, it was a great deal because having the works... For McLaren. Yeah, having the works engine was the <laughs> prize there. And then they get a load of money on top of it. That's why it was actually so expensive and so significant when they broke the partnership because that made a huge difference because they went from that wonderful position with Honda to paying for Renault customer engines. 
yeah. and then they suddenly realised, oh, actually, we're not quite as good a team as we thought we were. <laughs> they thought it was worth doing because they thought it would make the team win again. They were talking about being up there with Red Bull. So, <laughs> yeah, that that tells you how big that that whole thing was. And actually, the McLaren partnership also reflects one of the problems with Honda that's long been there in that they came in for the new regulations one year late, which is not a good thing to do. And obviously, we're seeing an echo of that, not a repeat, in that they've committed to these regulations a little bit late as well. So they're not quite maximum attack on it during a period when everyone else has been including newcomers like audi so yeah it's it's an interesting one for uh, uh for honda we'll talk about the development situation shortly but yeah the um yeah the mclaren deal was a very odd one uh, so it definitely won't be a repeat of the the mclaren deal um there, there will obviously be an element of honda funding a significant amount of it they'll be put in in in, in place a lot of the infrastructure and, and facilities and they are responsible for the um, design, development, manufacture, and supply of the the power units. But I would be amazed if they are getting close to the hundreds of millions of dollars that I said they were spending uh, previously. Um, I don't think they will have necessarily the extent of the um, Red Bull financial support that seems to exist for this uh, continuation project, twenty two to twenty five, where Red Bull's effectively paying for 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 everything. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's some Aston Martin or other partner input because I think this has to be something given the the fast turnaround between quitting and returning um, and the fact that there is still a priority for Honda to to improve things on the automotive side back in Japan uh, I don't think they can be seen to be pumping all of that money endlessly into F1 for, for years to come and there's a factor that feeds into that in the cost cap because with the power unit manufacturer cost cap for 2026 onwards and you know some some capex limits in advance of that and blah 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 it creates a system, a framework in which an engine manufacturer can can plan for a sort of sustainable long-term existence in F1, knowing that the costs are going to have a certain limit on them. I mean, there'll be some restrictions that the, the CapEx stuff places on Honda in the interim because decisions that perhaps should have been made last year when the capex limit wasn't in place because it, it it started from 2023 basically honda would have been able to spend freely last year to to get that infrastructure in place but they're paying the price for for dithering a little bit anything that that they've really needed to do on the capex side is now going to fall within a limit so there might be some short term pain but long term the way that they fund this project should be much more sustainable than it was over the last few years i mean yes it was a bit cowardly the way that they bowed out of f1 or or decided to quit the first time but if they carried on spending in the way that they were that project was probably doomed to 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 collapse under its own weight anyway yeah i suppose the other thing they had on their side is that they had a very motivated potential partner in aston martin they need a works partner so they know how much resources lawrence stroll and his partners have got so perhaps that allowed a little bit of a a push and pull in terms of how it was all financed etc so yeah again slightly changes the uh the way those negotiations played out and also with a partner in in play like aram uh, like aramco because they'll be doing on uh, working on on the fuel side we know that they've got vast vast resources there it wouldn't surprise me if there's a budget in place there not just uh, that that would take care of a few things more than just fuel and oil work <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it probably came together relatively easily once they realised there was a willingness on both sides to do it. But I'm sure there were some interesting negotiations about the fine detail when it comes to the economics of the whole thing. 
Well, one thing that's very clear is that while Honda signed up to the 26 power unit regulation some time ago, it's only now properly committed. So others have been going all out on development. It's not been doing the same. So do you think that's something that could prove costly, Scott? Yeah, I think so. It depends how quickly they can um, address any shortcomings or deficits that have uh, emerged over the last mm, 15 months or so because um, this uh, this continuation of 22 to 25 with, with, with Red Bull does create the air of Honda as a manufacturer like Ferrari, Mercedes and Renault that's just carrying on with one project for now and then just switches to 2026 at some point. But that isn't the case because at the moment, or certainly for the last 15 months or so, they haven't been a fully engaged, fully active engine manufacturer. They carried on developing their power unit after they formally quit F1 at the end of 2021 until March 2022 to ensure that that engine was fully up to date for the start of the engine freeze that runs to 2025. That was part of the terms of the of the Red Bull deal. Since then, it's all been slimmed down. Personnel have been redeployed to other areas of, uh, of Honda on these carbon neutral projects. I, I would imagine as well infrastructure facilities at Sakura have been redeployed as well. And I've said this a million times on a million podcasts now, but... There are other elements facilities-wise, like, for example, a UK facility that had a key role in some ERS uh, work that is now part of Ripple Powertrains. That, that, that's not for Honda to use anymore. So these, the, all these things kind of, they, they couldn't be addressed because Honda wasn't committed to anything. So it's all well and good. They, they, they kept this small R&D group working on the 2026 rules and keeping an eye on things and ticking over research projects. But... I don't imagine that they would have been doing that in the same way that Audi were, for example, or even Red Bull powertrains, and probably not the existing manufacturers who will all have certain parts of the the organisation looking ahead and working on on 2026. And the fact that that's been the case for the last 12, 15 months, I'm sure that they've been ramping things up back in Japan in anticipation of this, just because this has only just been announced publicly means that for weeks now they'd have known that this was coming. But however long it was, whether it was a year, less, more... There would have been a period in which Honda was not fully actively engaged in F1 in the way that it needed to be. There is potential for a bit of a deficit to have set in in that moment. The question is how much of a deficit set in and is there enough time between now and 2026 to fully overcome that and create an engine for 26 that's as good and as effective as the one that Honda obviously enjoys now. And that's particularly problematic for a manufacturer that had such a a bad return last time. You know, the delays cost them so badly last time or been offset and that was such a, an embarrassing time for Honda you'd have thought that the number one priority would make you know would be making sure that let's make sure next time we come into F1 we're not behind and it's already kind of started potentially on the back foot with a, a little bit of a deficit and it, it's kind of puzzling obviously it's a, a result of the the Red Bull deal not going through you know how they stuck obviously with Red Bull initially this wouldn't have been a problem um, but yeah it's got to the stage where they've already got a deficit having last time suffered so much from that and just gone down so many um yeah just just really struggled from that deficit so yeah it's a little bit worrying that they're already going in with a deficit this time uh but on the other hand you would have to say that after such an embarrassing time initially in f1 last time they surely wouldn't have committed to this project without this might be famous last words without being sort of sure that they can be there or thereabouts in 2026 i don't think they'd risk the embarrassment of another 2015 style scenario 
um, by committing when obviously there was no obligation for them to come back. I think there must be at least be a little bit of confidence, hopefully in the right place, that they can come in and be there or thereabouts. Well, I might be completely wrong on this, but maybe Ed, you you can you can clarify. But the the other factor that partially doomed Honda at the beginning of the the current uh, era was that um, did, didn't didn't they rush the entry? I know that they came in one year late, but wasn't that originally set up for twenty sixteen? Yes, yeah, certainly. Although they did come in in twenty fifteen rather than fourteen, there was a desire to have a longer lead time. But obviously, McLaren were fairly impatient and keen to crack on. So yeah, that that's had an effect at that point. But it's it's interesting the the wider scenario they've got because for all the reasons you talked about, Scott, there's no way to kind of play catch up, is there? Because there's a certain amount of resources you can use. It's capped. You can't bung in an extra twenty million and say, oh, that's our catch up fund. And for all the fact that they've said, oh, what an be about this, and for all they've said that they don't think they'll have any disadvantage from the fact they've been on kind of on tick over with development of this. They have been doing little bits of work here and there within HRC, so it's not a completely standing start, but it's also not a full-blown thing. So there is a disadvantage there, even though they say emphatically they don't think that they'll have lost anything. Yeah, well, as I said, I I, 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 I don't see how they're cut, that the, the, they can have avoided a deficit of some kind. It just comes down to to how big it is. that They can't bail themselves out um, in, in the way that maybe they could have done in the past, which ironically is obviously a situation affecting two of the biggest teams on, on, on the grid from a cost cap perspective now in Ferrari and and Mercedes, so I'm, I'm sure Honda and HRC are, ve- are very confident. Um, th- th- there is enough time to do it. I-, I was a bit worried at one point when um, it was suggested to me early in the season that they might wait until the end of the summer or even the end of the year to make their call, and I thought that's too late. They like they need to decide now. But the fact that they've announced it now towards the end of May means that they would have had the green light for this weeks ago. I. I- wrote our story I believe the decision had already been made when I wrote that story that was two weeks ago so the decision would have been made in the days certainly before I found out Um, so I I think there's enough time it's just a question of getting everybody and everything in order to be able to attack this as effectively as they need to yeah I think that's uh, just something they've got to face up to that they've created that situation so they've just got to deal with it I don't think it's a crippling disadvantage or anything it's just going to be one of those things that they need to deal with and Honda's obviously had plenty of success in F1 recently so there's no reason to expect them to be struggling too much but it's just a little extra hurdle to overcome Josh let's turn our attention a bit more to Aston Martin itself now they've downplayed the disadvantage of not being a works team for the past couple of years but it's got that Honda deal in the bag now so that tune's changed a little bit how significant is it for the deal in terms of its chance of achieving the ambition of winning world championships Perhaps unsurprisingly, it's quite similar to what McLaren's rhetoric was like just before they partnered with Honda. I guess they were sort of in a similar situation to Aston Martin, difficult to compare them really. But obviously at the time they said it would be difficult to win as a Mercedes customer. And that was part of the reason they they went to Honda. And it's very similar logic really for for Aston Martin. I mean, at the moment, of course, they even share a wind tunnel. They've already started to obviously rectify that by building their new wind tunnel. And it was just sort of, having that full separation from Mercedes they believe is is the best way to beat them. Some people might say, well, they're beating them this year. What's the problem? But really you'd say that Mercedes are having a particularly difficult year. Aston Martin having a very good year. 
as a customer team, the the ceiling isn't always going to be as high as if you're you know doing the engine yourself or you've got a works engine partnership as as Aston Martin will have with Honda. So you know they clearly believe that's that's the way to go, and history more or less follows that trend as well. It's very very difficult to win as a customer team. Um, there are only very few exceptional circumstances, and and usually there's proper kind of logic behind them as well where usually the kind of supplying team is uh is going through some period of difficulty mercedes obviously is but it's not going through immense difficulty a lot might change obviously with how their upgrade path goes but but clearly aston feels this is the the proper kind of missing piece in the puzzle of their um transformation of all their investment that they're doing all the facility upgrades and everything like, everything like that so clearly they think this is the the missing piece of course a lot will depend on whether or not honda gets it right as well you know we talked about honda potentially being behind if there is any sort of deficit obviously that will hurt aston martin's ambitions in the long term but if they do and get to a point where they got to to with red bull ultimately then this you know it is very very good for aston martin's ambitions to have that proper um, works engine deal is is crucial and has been the, the cornerstone of many kind of periods of success in, in Formula One for teams. They're a very, very different team obviously now and they, they spoke a lot about that too and during the announcement obviously they used to have not many resources and used to doing a very good job on unlimited resources the whole team Silverstone um, outfit but now they've got the resources they don't need to just make the best of what they've got they don't need to make the best of other people's parts they can can properly do this and um, as I said before as well obviously with Honda's engine being kind of properly tuned into their car that's also going to help obviously when they get the, the Mercedes unit and the gearbox and stuff like that they're kind of building around the the mercedes concept a little bit so i think that's a big part of it as well just being able to choose their own future direction that sort of both helped them and hurt them in in recent years too so i think that they're quite keen to to be able to kind of strike out on their own go their own course and just kind of mold their their future concept with honda rather than sort of having to to slightly rely on aston uh, on uh, on mercedes yeah, and the value of that can't be underestimated because it's only little small bits and pieces here and there in terms of packaging, but it means you can absolutely ensure you've optimised your package and the concept you're going down because every team has a slightly different vision and concept and the way everything works. And just having that flexibility with the engine, provided you don't go over the top and insist it's the world's smallest engine, go down the old size zero route, you're fine. I, th- I think the other thing that's also worth mentioning is you alluded to the similarity in rhetoric between McLaren when they announced it and Aston Martin. Martin, which is absolutely the case. But I think the big difference here is that McLaren almost thought that the Honda engine deal was one big piece of a one-piece puzzle, whereas this is almost the final piece of a much bigger puzzle with many more pieces that Aston Martin's been putting in place, which is why that performance opportunity, which might only be worth a few tenths in total, is so important. Because if you're going to be winning championships, you've got to be beating Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, Alpine, the lots of them. So you need every single possible advantage in order to ensure that your performance potential is as high as, if not greater, than all of your rivals. Yeah, there's basically two ways of, of viewing it, and you, you you kind of touched on this just just then, Ed. You've got, which is kind of I think how McLaren perhaps saw things um, a few years ago, but you've you can view it as you know the team is responsible for building the car and running the entry, and and then the the engine manufacturer provides the engine, but they obviously need to be so much more connected than that. Um, these aren't separate projects, and if they're treated that way 
then the whole will be weaker than the sum of the parts, which would be an enormous waste. And I think some, I think the best sort of summary, really, like from when when we, what we've heard from Martin Whitmarsh talking about it, is in this very simple terms, when you're an, an engine customer, you know that if every if every party gets absolutely everything they can out of their potential, there will always be one team on the grid that's in a better position than you theoretically, because that that just is the case, you know. I know that Aston Martin are moving into the new factory and they've got the new the, the new wind tunnel and new simulator. But Mercedes uh, Mercedes infrastructure is hardly second rate. And even if it wasn't completely, completely dependent on Mercedes for, for, for everything, the current situation that they've got at the moment, taking the engine, taking the gearbox, taking the rear suspension, if Mercedes wasn't underachieving, Aston Martin would not be beating Mercedes. And I don't actually think they would necessarily beat mercedes in the future they'd be able to but they'd be dependent on mercedes not getting the most out of it that's just a fact because then other because they'd be using core elements of the car architecture so this gives them the freedom to to do everything that they can to maximize their their potential i am inclined to agree with whitmarsh and a lot of people in formula one where the prevailing opinion is you cannot win a title as a customer, I don't, I don't believe that's possible in this engine era. And, and with a, a new set of engine rules coming in, it, it will not be possible either. Now, it might be long term in 10 years time when the engines are settled and frozen and blah, blah, blah. Maybe things get simpler. Maybe it will be possible, but it isn't possible now. And I don't think it will be possible in 2026 with a new set of engine rules. Yeah, and it does come with a few little, not disadvantages, but other things that have to be done with it. Obviously, this team has depended on gearbox supply from an external supplier for a long time. Obviously, it was in its Force India guys that this team almost invented the modern technical partnerships in Formula One when it did that deal first with McLaren Mercedes. It was for 2009. I remember, I think it emerged, I remember it being talked about in the paddock in Singapore in 2008, round about that time. And of course, Whitmarsh was actually instrumental in putting that together. And that deal actually was quite a big story because it was almost anathema to the way F1 teams worked. And I remember Paddy Lowe, He's obviously in a senior technical position at McLaren there, said he actually had to sell it to his staff and said, actually, we're going to give a gearbox and other bits and pieces to this rival team. So they've relied on that sort of thing for a long time, first with McLaren, then with Mercedes, but they are going to do their own gearbox. Martin Whitmarsh has said they're starting to recruit on that side of things. So they'll do their own gearbox hydraulics. They also take some rear suspension bits from Mercedes. I think that's more a pragmatic decision at this stage rather than any fundamental reason they have to. It's just that obviously you get the pickup points dictated by the gearbox casing that you're getting from someone else. So you might as well take some suspension bits as well and they can do front suspension. So I don't think that's such a big problem, but there's little bits and pieces they have to do on top in order to make the most of this but they'll have no problem doing that and obviously it's just part and parcel of trying to be a team that does everything and I quite like the way this team has controlled its expansion I had concerns that they wouldn't do it in the right way and actually I've got to say they're doing it quite nicely and much as I find the whole Lawrence Stroll who obviously heads the consortium that owns the team and his shtick about oh when I get passionate about things I win and all that kind of thing all the sort of high-flying business success nonsense I can't really fault the way he's invested in it and the way it's been planned out and a certain amount of patience in a funny way in terms of accepting you have to do step one two and three before step four and that's probably what this Honda deal is. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. 
All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Let's, Josh, now move on to the inevitable question of Fernando Alonso and whether he could be reunited with Honda because of this deal. As Scott mentioned earlier, Honda said they won't stand in the way, but Alonso will be 45 during 2026. It may very well be he retires from Formula 1 before that, but could you see him once again carrying Honda colours in F1? Absolutely. I think if you know Aston Martin are a front-running team for the next few years, there's absolutely... Well, there are plenty of reasons why he, he wouldn't be there, but there are plenty of reasons why he fully well could be there. I think, you know, it's obviously hard to say this more from the, the outside perspective, but I don't see a reason why they would risk some kind of complete internal conflict between the partners in terms of Honda saying, oh, we don't want, you know, Fernando Alonso in the car. They've said, obviously, that they don't have a problem with it. And even if there are, you know, problems kind of deeper down, I think, you know, they're not going to come to a point where they're going to block any kind of, you know, Alonso in the car. But obviously there's a long way to go to, to get there first. I think Aston Martin faces a, a huge headache over the next few years with what to do with Fernando Alonso. It's such a different scenario to what they were kind of offering last year, considering their kind of position of where they were last year and where they're going to be both later this year and in the next few years. They need to obviously avoid the kind of mistakes that Alpine made when kind of managing Alonso's future. But I can see them having a kind of a, a similar problem. It's all going to depend on how long does Alonso want to stay around. I mean, he's been toiling around in, you know, midfield, midfield and backmarker machinery for the you know most of the last decade now he's finally got a front running car is he really going to give it up that easily after so many years of of torture really and and now he's got a, a competitive car he can get regular podiums he can fight for wins and pole positions obviously we don't know if that's going to carry on for the next couple of years but particularly with the the Honda engine coming in in 2026 and they're not being that same kind of well again this is very sort of uh if there shouldn't be the same kind of um growth kind of need and development years needed of a completely new manufacturer coming in you know perhaps Audi or somebody like that would be a bit more of a risk you can maybe have a bit more faith that this is going to be a, a very competitive project right from the off um, so I, I think he's going to be potentially keen to stay it's obviously a bit of a stretch with the, the years but he's so competitive now he's already sort of had his bit of a break and step away from F1 I think he, he may well be tempted, and I think on Aston Martin and Honda's side, they may well think that he's also the right fit. But obviously the problem with that is that the long-term view, you know, is he the right fit for 2026? Well, it's sort of more is he the right fit for the for the whole project as a whole? Is it a good look just to kind of get him in, for, for keep him in for, for 2026 and then suddenly change course with another big name? It feels like they're going to have to really decide whether 
the future lies. So even if it's a yes on Alonso's side, even if it's a yes on on keeping Alonso for his for the next few years, um, and and in in if he's still sort of competitive for twenty twenty six, it might be a case of they they have to go for for somebody else, a, a different big name who's actually going to be there for a lot longer because they could they could keep Alonso, but is he going to be there obviously past 2026 even if he does make it to that point is he really going to be a, a long-term bet and then this is all just finally just is basically because they've really only got one available seat which is a bit of a problem because you have to have a strong lead driver in there so perhaps in a different scenario where there are two seats you could probably more likely keep Alonso and bring in the new person and sort of have a bit of a transition phase but really what it forces them to do is have a bit of a a cutoff really it's either they stick with Alonso or they need to unfortunately move him aside and put their next lead driver or the next kind of big name driver in whoever that may be but they've got Lance Stroll future world champion that shouldn't be a problem should it uh, yeah well as I've always said with Lance Stroll he's a perfectly capable Grand Prix driver but I've not seen any sign he's going to evolve into being one of those absolute gold standard drivers and there's not many uh, of those around but it's an interesting scenario because there's a lot of this it's so difficult this far out because it could well be Alonso decides he wants to retire anyway that it's just a bit too far for him to defy time but he might still be performing well. He might still be keen. So there will be a decision to be made there, whether they go with him or another option. And then, of course, Honda has said they'll not object. Honda has said Aston Martin has the decision. But, of course, that doesn't stop Honda voicing an opinion. They might say, actually, given the past, we don't necessarily want this. And at that point, Aston Martin might we'd, have to... We'd prefer, we'd prefer this if it didn't happen. Exactly. There's a, there's a halfway house. They won't be wielding power or anything. They'll say, well, it's your choice. But I don't know if they'll say that. I do know that Alonso's conduct did leave a mark on Honda. We know, obviously, he couldn't do Indy in 2018 with a Honda engine, for example, because um, Honda Performance Development in North America didn't want to supply him with an engine so the mclaren project that was cobbled together for that year had to use a, a chevy engine so there's a little bit of history there. i'm not saying that's necessarily the case but it's another complication that means it's very very difficult to predict how this could go because the difficult one is what if alonso's performing really well in 2025 hell what if he wins the world championship in 2025 and they want the number one for 2026 not impossible and it would also be the perfect kind of response to all those torrid years, you know, to win a title with him, again, very extreme, or to at least win races would just be the perfect kind of, well, you know, he did say all these things, but he also won a, loads and loads of races with us. And we kind of, you know, proved him wrong as much as anyone. And yeah, well, he gets to be the one to <laughs> to claim the glory. But yeah, it would be a perfect kind of response to all those horrible years and, and all those, yeah, difficult words that were said. And just imagine if if Alonso could have a, a world championship challenging car and package. And I, I understand the, the point you're making, Ed. Um, I think in the current rule set, it will be difficult for Aston to really topple Red Bull and establish themselves properly ahead of Mercedes and Ferrari. I, I think a bit of a reset in 26 armed with a works engine is the, is, is a great opportunity to, to do that. But just the idea of Alonso being in that position, because... After everything he's gone through, the Honda element is, as Josh points out, is a is a brilliant plot all on its own. 
But just imagine if after the after the sabbatical, after coming back with Alpine, after swapping Alpine for the team that was ninth in the championship at, a t- at the time, imagine if he does genuinely persevere well into his mid and beyond his mid-40s and is able to do it and wins races and fights for a championship. It would just be it would just be incredible. Obviously, if Alonso's not in the picture, it it has to be an absolute A-lister because that's not Lance Stroll. That's at the moment, anyway, it doesn't look like it would be any of the Honda protégés, the young Japanese drivers who have shown great promise like Sonoda or Oasa. Um, you're looking at a Charles Leclerc, a Lando Norris, that that kind of calibre of driver. If you don't... Everything else with this project is rightly being treated with the utmost respect and significance. And there's no... There's no shortcoming in terms of finance or time and effort to get everything right. And if that isn't applied to the driver choice for 2026 and beyond, then everything else gets undermined. Because if you have, with all due respect, second tier drivers in that car, then it will be a second tier project. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair point. And we have to consider the very serious possibility that Alonso won't be racing for that team in in twenty six. The position I take is that we can't rule it out. It's 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 possible. Anything is possible with Alonso. I'd have thought there was never any chance of him returning to McLaren, and he did. Anything is possible with with someone like Fernando Alonso. And sometimes pragmatism means it makes sense for them to continue. But there will be alternatives, and it's worth trying to sift through some of those alternatives, Scott, because we got a bit of an idea of how the landscape might look around twenty twenty six. We know there's one driver who is under lock and key beyond that. But beyond that, it's a little bit all bets are off, isn't it? Yeah, and you know that with a project like this, with the immense potential that it has, everyone who's a free agent and plenty of drivers who aren't are going to be looking at this for 2026 thinking, I fancy a piece of that. Basically, you're looking at anyone who isn't Max Verstappen and George Russell are probably the two drivers who... Even Russell, I don't think you could completely discount. No, no, not necessarily. I don't think you could completely discount him, but you could also couldn't discount someone like Verstappen with his relationship with Honda and blah, blah, blah. But my point is... is but that he's under contract, isn't he, to 28? <clears throat> so. he, yeah. Uh, I don't really know what that contract <laughs> includes, but you're right, he is. Um, but I, the reason I mentioned those two is I, I just think with where they are at their career, in their careers and what they've been through. I don't see Russell at Mercedes in the same way I see Leclerc at Ferrari, where Leclerc's now had four years of being beaten down by Ferrari being Ferrari. And I can see why Russell would have more faith in the Mercedes project long term. And so I, I think Verstappen will be at Red Bull for years to come. And I think Russell will be at Mercedes for years to come. That's just my personal opinion. Obviously, it's not guaranteed. Everyone else, as you put it, Ed, all bets are off. I can see Aston Martin and Honda going after after Leclerc ferociously. Um, Lando Norris as a British driver and Aston Martin and the the history of that brand. What a brilliant coup that would coup that would be for them to have a, a, a really really good British driver in in the team. Um, if you know, what if Lewis Hamilton is still kicking around and and, and still still burns with the desire for an eight world championship the mercedes stint hasn't quite worked out what a roll of the dice that would be for the same reason aston martin gets the seven-time world champion in for for the the career swan song and then who knows what what other younger drivers will, will be will, will have emerged by then in in the next three years it's it, it's going to be one of the most sought after seats in in formula one i have no doubt about that 
Yeah, and certainly if you were to be drawing up a list of the probable ones now, and this is going to be a little bit of a way off for Aston Martin, they'll sort of have half a thought about it, but it's it's a little bit early. Leclerc and Norris are probably the two that are the obvious ones in terms of the age profile, the possibility they might be uh, available. But yeah, th- there's so many, so many contenders potentially given how sought after that seat could be. And how Aston and Alonso play it is going to have a huge impact on that. You know, from Alonso's side, is he going to be quick to commit because he knows this seat's going to be sought after? You know, where are Aston Martin going to sort of put the deadlines or put the the lines in the sand for Alonso making up his mind about his future? You know, I think Aston are now in a much stronger position, obviously, than they were a year ago or, or nine months ago. They can afford to kind of put those lines in the sand, I think, because now they've got such a competitive package. I think they can say to Alonso, well we do need to you to make up your mind by x time because then we can um put in somebody else because there are going to be so many other good candidates who are looking for that seat so it's going to be very very different from you know last year when i think they'd have given him anything for them for, for alonso to drive for them very much now aston martin has a lot more power and sort of its own you know things so it's got going for it so uh yeah it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out and, and that's going to have a huge impact not only for aston martin but every other team on the grid and their drivers too and although the decision making process is going to be some way off this Honda deal will have an impact on the way the driver market is playing out in terms of more immediate concerns because everybody will have in mind, well, Aston Martin was always was already a reasonable possibility, but now they've got a works engine deal as well. That makes it a much more credible opportunity, even for 26, for a top-line driver. So you always have in mind when you're signing new deals how it might line up with other potential opportunities, etc. So if you're, say, a Charles Leclerc whose contract expires at the end of next year, you might have that 26 opportunity in mind. So you might be doing a deal with Ferrari and say, actually, do you know what? I only want to give you 2025 because I want my options to be open just in case things don't work as I hope. So interesting to see how that'll shift the dynamic. It's very hard to measure that, but it does slightly tweak the landscape. And hopefully by that time, there'll be a lot of teams that could realistically be racing at the front. Formula One's quite tough, so I don't think it's going to be all of them by any means. But it's interesting for any driver who's in any way sought after to just start jostling for position a little bit early on. Well, thanks very much to Scott and Josh for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. Plenty to read there about the Aston Martin Honda deal and everything else that's going on. Check out our other podcasts, including our IndyCar podcast. Of course, the Indy 500 is coming up this weekend. And also check out our video channel on YouTube. Well, we're now turning our attention to the Monaco Grand Prix. So stay with us for everything you need to know from Monte Carlo. The Athletic.